Welcome to MTSU On The Record. I'm Jenna Loeb. You might be surprised to learn that your child's teacher isn't necessarily properly equipped to address reading disabilities. Dr. Tim Odegaard, a professor of psychology and holder of the Murphy Chair of Excellence in Dyslexic Studies, united with three colleagues for a study of different classifications of educators and the extent to which they are familiar with various aspects of literacy knowledge. One of these colleagues, Susan Porter, a doctoral candidate in literacy studies, is also with us. The answers raise both eyebrows and concerns, and we'll examine them after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Visitors at MTSU's renowned Baldwin Photographic Gallery can see both the forests and the trees and the people who work and live amidst them in a new exhibit focusing on photographer David Paul Bale's images. Still, trees will be on display weekdays from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. through Thursday, March 17th in room 269 of the university's Bragg Media and Entertainment Building on Blue Raider Drive. Bales is currently in residency at the H.J. Andrews Experimental Forest near Blue River, Oregon, and is capturing new images of forests and other landscapes, including documenting floods, fires, and other disasters to show how the Earth survives. And seven university undergrads, and nearly 40 altogether from across Tennessee, attended the annual Posters at the Capitol event, February 16th, to showcase research in the Cordell Hall building in Nashville. Posters at the Capitol brought together science, technology, engineering, and mathematics researchers from seven state universities. They visited with state legislators during scheduled meetings and discussed their research with peers, faculty members, legislators, and others. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Tim, Susan, welcome. Thank you both for being with us. Oh, thank you so thank much you. for having us. Tim, let's start out by describing the three types of educators you surveyed for this study, reading interventionists, classroom teachers, and special educators. Who are they and, and how are they different? Yeah, they serve different roles in a public school. I want to start by saying that this is part of a long, uh, larger study that we've been undertaking from the center with the Department of Education in Arkansas. And so we're looking at educator knowledge and teacher training initiatives across the state linked to some legislative initiatives passed back in 2016. And so in these schools in Arkansas, much like schools in other parts of the country, including here in Tennessee, you in the early elementary grades, you have classroom teachers, kind of a, a jackie of all trades, if you will, who's trying to meet the needs of her students in that setting in general education. Sometimes you'll also have people who wear the hat of a reading interventionist and they're able to push in and sometimes pull out of that classroom setting to, in order to give targeted intervention in support of various types of um, instructional placements and needs. And then we have special educators, that special breed that is that's there to meet the needs of those children who are eligible for a disability classification underneath the Individuals with Disability and Education Act. So they're supporting different children sometimes and doing it in slightly different context. Yeah. Susan, what was your methodology? So we um, assessed their knowledge using a, an online measure that there were 50 items and they measured several constructs that we have learned from literature are very important for teachers to understand in order to be able to teach the English language in a way that works for students. So it was an online survey. They were asked items such as 
can you tell us how many sounds are in a word or um, how to decode a certain item? Um, so asking them to do some of the tasks that we ask students to do just to kind of gauge how they, um, how they could perform on those activities. And how many teachers are we talking about? We had um, 1,300 classroom teachers, 74 reading specialists, and 131 special educators in this sample. And one of the more surprising findings was that classroom teachers knew more about certain aspects of literacy knowledge than special educators, even though the special educators deal most with the students who struggle with certain hardships. Uh, how, how do you explain that, either one of you? In looking in the literature, a lot of how special educators are trained in their pre-service programs is in a very broad way because special education teachers deal with a wide range of students with disabilities and not just academic, but also behavioral. So when you're preparing a teacher for special education, there's not a way to know exactly the range of disabilities that they're going to work with. So it's a very broad program that focuses a lot on the how, the pedagogical um, focus, as opposed to the actual content knowledge that they're going to need. Yeah. Tim, why are there so many different specialists? There are reading interventionists, literacy coaches, literacy interventionists, reading specialists, Title I reading teachers. Uh, I would wager most parents don't even know that these types of professionals exist. They just know that their child has a teacher. Uh, why the division of labor there? Uh, well, a, 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 public, a public school is an ecosystem that is gonna to try to meet the needs of a vast number of students with varying needs. And so a classroom teacher can only meet so many of those needs. And so to have specialists surrounding you, I mean, we also have speech pathologists in some places, we have school psychologists and we have a great program for that here at MTSU. And we have other professionals in those schools to meet the child's needs and placements. And so if you think about it, if we were to divide labor up in a certain way and ask people to be specialized, it might be beneficial. But do think of it as an ecosystem with every person in this, this, this knowledge chain and the skill chain feeding into and off of one another. And what we could do is do a landscape or survey analysis to ask, do we really have the skills and knowledge distributed across this ecosystem? And are they authorized and tasked to meet the needs of the students where they're at? And that's where, let's say a reading interventionist could be so critical in the sense of, we found, as you are aware, that the highest levels of knowledge were in these individuals across the state of Arkansas. They had been part of ongoing training through the regional service centers, and they had heightened levels of, of knowledge. And for a good cause, they had been invested in to go into and push in and pull out. And so creating a, a, a climate in which you can be collegial and not feel turf wars or ownership over, or, over the student's education is beneficial. The context of high stakes and accountability makes that difficult for classroom teachers when they're being personally held accountable for, let's say, a third grade reading test or a school principal to want to divide the labor that way. So the work that we do in the center is trying to create ecosystems across the state and the country that can, that can thrive and have a diversity of individuals who have special knowledge and skills to meet the needs. So I would, I would point to a, an educational landscape that's made up of various ecosystems and we each play our role. Would it behoove the parents to know something about it, each of these individual specialists uh, in order to best 
benefit their child if they think their child has a problem? Or does the classroom teacher serve as a sort of gatekeeper who can say, this is the type of specialist I recommend you have your child see or, or interact with? I, I'll speak to myself first as a parent and as a parent who's had to use educational systems to get what my child needed. I think a parent should educate themselves as much as possible and not allow anybody to be a gatekeeper or stand in the way. And part of that would say that, sure, we could we could point fingers and say that the special educator should have known more. I know that MTSU, we have bolstered and we have people like Dr. Melinda Hirschman from our center teaching reading instruction classes now in special education classes to our future special educators out of MTSU. However, as a parent, I want to inform myself and know what my rights are, what my students' rights are, and who I can call upon and, and be an advocate for to make sure that they get those. And a controversial point is that we want to know if it might not be the special educator who we need to be talking to. It may not be a special education presentation of this, and I might want a reading interventionist that is actually more gen ed that's placed out back here. So I want to educate myself about where the resources, the skills, and knowledge are and ask those questions that are critical. I think that my child needs this. What is your assessment? I think that that would require this type of intervention. What's your assessment? Who on your team and your staff is qualified and certified to give that type of intervention? How do we ensure that we place into my child's plan access to that, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and we're going to monitor that. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about a study conducted by Dr. Timothy Odegaard, who is a professor of psychology and a holder of the Murphy Chair of Excellence in Dyslexic Studies, along with Susan Porter, Melissa McMahon, and Emily Ferris. It's called Characterizing the Knowledge of Educators Across the Tiers of Instructional Support. Susan Porter is with us as well. She's a doctoral candidate in literacy studies. Susan, one of the most startling sentences in the report to me is uh, teachers' knowledge of the language they are trying to teach their students to read has long been identified as a core obstacle standing in the way of translating research into practice. What exactly does that mean? And I, I read it as a quote directly taken out of the study so I would get it right and not screw it up trying to paraphrase it. Yeah, so our research actually comes from a long line of research that has been looking at teacher knowledge for decades. The earliest studies were done in the mid-80s, showing that teachers often lack this knowledge. And the knowledge we're talking about is content knowledge. 
So it's different than I, I'm a good reader. So I know how to read. So I should be able to teach it. It's that understanding of what makes up words, what makes up meaning in when we're reading. And so being able to um, have that content knowledge is what we're saying is really missing. Um, and, and teachers don't often have that. If they weren't taught that, um, then oftentimes they can't just come up with it. They just think I'm a good reader. I should be able to read. Dr. Odegaard, what do you want to add to that? While we, we've been holding that this is important knowledge to have, we, we haven't always found evidence and research to support that. So what we've often demonstrated is when you present teachers with this content knowledge test, they don't perform as well as we would potentially hope. What we have limited knowledge of is what would be the threshold that we would expect teachers to have. Um, also, drawing that link between teacher knowledge and student outcomes has been elusive. And Susan also has written up and is first author on a paper in which she's demonstrated that link between the knowledge and actual student outcomes um, from a larger sample of students that we were doing in partnership with the Arkansas. And that's um, been presented at several scientific research conferences and is under review now in a scientific journal. So we're not talking about uh, students teach, I mean, uh, teachers teaching English, not knowing what a noun is or what a verb is uh, or something like that, not something that basic. It's more complex and contextual. It really is the structure of the English language. So on the test that we're using for this study, it really is more at a word level, meaning units within words, sound units within words, how letter and sounds come together to make the spelling of words. And um, in, for, in other research that we're doing right now at the center, as we're trying to create a nationally normed study, we've expanded to include syntactic knowledge about how you put words together to make meaningful sentences, you put sentences together to make paragraphs, and how you have meaning in words as well at, the, at, at vocabulary. So we've got an expanded test that we're using to try to overcome some of the methodological limitations of this field of study and this study in particular. Um at least when I was in school, uh, people in the, the primary grades taught spelling as a subject like social studies or math. And they taught it up to a certain point and then they stopped before you got to middle school or high school because they figured by then you're supposed to either know how to spell or how to look up the words you don't know. But in the elementary school, you actually had a spelling textbook. And so one of the statements from the report that caught my eye is that teachers have a lack of knowledge of spelling concepts. These are the people who are teaching kids how to spell. That's, that, uh, that really blows my mind. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think, too, that comes from um, understanding a lot of the rules that make up how our language is put together. And our language is a lot more regular than we give it credit for often. Um, and so a lot of times we think about teachers may not understand that a closed syllable always has a short vowel sound followed by a consonant that makes it closed every time. Um, and so they don't have that understanding to name that for the child, to say this is a closed syllable, this is an open syllable, because in knowing that, that gives the child access to the sounds and the understanding of that part of the word. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about content knowledge is there's a reason cat has a short A sound and not a long A sound in it. It's a closed syllable. One of the things that I didn't see mentioned in the study is the possibility that underfunded school districts might not have all the specialists on the payroll. 
that we've been talking about because of budget constraints? How likely is that? And doesn't that put more pressure on higher ed to give classroom teachers the training they need to deal with students with reading disabilities? Because, uh, you know, a, a, a largely poor school district just might not have the money to have access to the types of specialists a kid might need. Most definitely. Higher education needs to step up to the plate and get this um, type of knowledge more directly and systematically taught to the students coming out. Um, we are working with Arkansas on this, and they actually did pass a, a knowledge test that their educators now have to pass to be licensed in the state of Arkansas. Um, they're one of a handful of states that have tried this initiative. Um, as you may know, and your audience may know, education has been a big push under Governor Lee now and, and Commissioner Swin. And they've been pushing for similar types of pieces and wanting to look at higher education. Um, Arkansas took one approach. There's other states like Mississippi, um, Connecticut comes to mind that have taken similar approaches and Tennessee's taking its own approach. So yeah, I do think that there's a need to elevate the level of knowledge coming out of our elementary ed teachers um, in general. And that would prevent types of widespread um, casualties that we could see, especially in, to go back to the first part of your question, in those impoverished schools. One of the heartbreaking findings that we have is, is that when we look at the K through two data in Arkansas, which mirrors many other parts in the country, um, before they take that high stakes test, it is the, um, the underperforming schools are the economically disadvantaged schools. Yes, when we look at the Arkansas demographic, um, the, the, what we would call our failing schools by um, state and federal rating systems are, are majority African-American in Arkansas, but by a slim margin, not much, but 94% of the kids in those schools are on free and reduced lunch status, and so they're economically disadvantaged. So does that parlay into the amount of funding that schools have available to them? When we looked at the, at the findings in Arkansas, that was not the case. They had equivalencies in the levels of teacher training. They had equivalencies in the amount of funding that was being allocated to them. What we saw rampant was turnover and not being able to keep leadership in the buildings nor teachers in the buildings. And so if we want to put ecological ecosystems in place to support education, then we need to find ways to create systems that can be sustained and we can move through the levels of, of going from, from, from working okay to working exceptionally. And that takes building up a, a corpus and cadre of, of educators and leaders that can drive that work. So that's kind of addressing both sides of yours. Yes, MTSU and elsewhere, we're striving to do better and we will do better. We already do great. Um, and we also know that funding is only part of it. When we look at the funding lines, often we do have it. Now let's look at also the funding or the available for resources. As I've been working with state department of eds across the country, our smaller rural states often don't have the same number of specialists at the state department. When I work with schools across Tennessee, when I go into the rural counties, they don't often have as many specialists at the district level nor at the building level. And when I work in Arkansas, a predominantly um, just poor um, state that does have a high proportion of, of minority individuals. We also don't see the number of specialists either. So that funding, or at least the bolus of a lot of students can drive a overall higher level of, of revenue that you then use can, to buy in these specialists. But the overall student capita, the student funding line isn't really different across the schools, which means their, their funding is different, but the allocation of funding can be slightly different based on the number of students you're serving within a context of a district or a school. 
Do you have a, any situations where a, a particular specialist might have a, a broad area to cover, like several different school districts, because they can't, the state can't afford any more than one specialist to be assigned to a, a particular school district, and this individual has to cover several different school districts. Uh, you can. And when I actually did work at an educational service center in the state of Arkansas, that was the case back in the time that I was doing that work. And we would have speech pathologists who would have to cover several 21 rural school districts because they didn't have the resources to band together to do it. It was also the onset of the internet and distance learning. So we were also at the, the, the leading edge of doing distance learning work to try to get calculus into these different schools as well as AP chemistry and other AP classes. So the idea of using the technology back then, and this was in the middle of the 90s and late 90s that I was doing this work to help pay myself through my way through college. So when I was actually the the, the systems admin, putting in all the computer systems and driving all the computer services and emails and databases for the districts in these 21 school districts in rural Arkansas. So there are instances and there still are instances of that, and there are ways to achieve that. Um, and that's exactly the system that Arkansas used and leveraged to train those reading interventionists across the state who were in our study. Susan, what was your general impression from the, looking at the results of the study about how the educational system in Arkansas is faring with regard to um, uh, improving the extent to which uh, teachers can address reading comprehension and other types of issues like this? There's some bright spots, you know, especially knowing that you're reading interventionists, those who are tasked with working with our students um, that, that are already showing the difficulty in struggling with reading, um, that they do have the knowledge to support those students effectively. Um, and of course, the special education teachers, you know, it's no fault of their own. Um, we do believe that it has to do with their training and the, the, the wide level of knowledge that they have to know um, that, you know, they're working with our kids that have the highest needs because these kids with have, that have IEPs are going to be your kids that have the highest needs. And so I think there's there's some bright spots, but there's also a lot of places that that we need to get better in. Um, and and even with our classroom teachers, you know, they're the ones that often pick up on the the struggles before they become true disabilities. And so being able to make sure that our our classroom teachers are knowledgeable enough to to pick up on that and even if they may not have the full understanding, go being able to have access to someone like a reading specialist, a literacy coach, someone they can go to and say, this is what I'm seeing, what do you think? And they can start, start that path to get what that child needs. Time for another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. 
MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Dr. Tim Odegaard, who holds the uh, Murphy Chair of Excellence in Dyslexic Studies, and with Susan Porter, who is a doctoral candidate in Literacy Studies, and we're talking about a research paper that they were involved in, along with Melissa McMahon and Emily Ferris, called Characterizing the Knowledge of Educators Across Tiers of Instructional Support, published in the academic journal Annals of Dyslexia in July 2021. Tim, you referred to the fact that higher education has to do a a better job to uh, prepare education majors to help rectify some of the uh, some of the uh, black holes. Uh, how should higher ed revamp its training require, requirements or pedagogical standards uh, for education majors? What specifically should be done at that level uh, to, to try to rectify the situation? Um, in elementary ed, a focus and a content analysis and review to look to see if they're actually addressing the evidence-based practices for reading that we've uncovered after roughly 30 to 40 years of um, dedicated federal funding to support research in this area. So we want to make sure that we have classes that are both content specific for teaching what we know that we need to know about our language, how it's structured, how it works, how kids develop a capacity to read and understand and write that. If we really wanna talk about true literacy, which is reading and writing, And then we want to also bring in actual instructional pedagogical approaches into those classes. So we would bolster it on two strands, making sure we do a content analysis and we elevate the quality and content aligned back to what we know kids are developing and learning to do. And then also equipping them with real opportunities to practice, try out and learn some real skills in doing that. And that would be for all of literacy. That would be for reading, which includes their letters, their their word reading, and their doing that quickly and their comprehension of advanced text, as well as writing and um, part of the mechanics of writing is spelling. Dr. Tim Odegaard, Susan Porter, thank you for being our guest on MTSU on the record. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The Center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. MTSU's newest fine arts leader dove headfirst into her lengthy to-do list last fall, adding direct-a-play to her already mind-boggling schedule as the new chair of the Department of Theater and Dance. Dr. Tiffany Trent, 
a veteran educator from the University of Chicago who brings a wealth of knowledge to MTSU on connecting the arts to citizenship, self, and culture, says she's been delighted to see the skill sets of MTSU students who've been guided by the department's faculty. Having the students uh, who are at the directing, stage managing, and doing those designing, as well as the students in the cast, you know, this is a great way, seeing them every day, Monday to Friday, it's a great way to get to know the department, hear from students, and just kind of be able to take the pulse of what the department is and, and get to know it intimately and quickly. But I've certainly been delighted by the skills the students have. Um, their skills in, in music and stage management. Well, I mean, in every area, in literally every area, I've just been delighted with the, like, the manifestation of the training that they've been getting from the faculty. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU On The Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.